With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone, to Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner back on a Tuesday um, to discuss the world of tennis and, in particular, uh, a player that I thought maybe we would have this podcast, this discussion about six, seven years ago after he broke out on the scene now to what degree of a breakout you can attribute to the US media hype you know you can describe some of that possibly but you know back in 2010 I at the US Open I I came away pretty impressed with Ryan Harrison um after a match I watched him on on the grandstand against Stakowski goes down after having match points in five sets to me, and I think to a lot of other people, Steve, we were kind of seeing the next um, the next player to kind of follow in the footsteps of Andy Roddick, James Blake. This is at a time when both of those two were arguably on the back nine of their careers, and we were waiting for that, uh, that player to come through. Um, Harrison's gone through quite a bit since then, and, and certainly you know, did not live up to those early um, expectations. Um, I, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I think, I, I definitely think Grand Slam winner was bandied about a few times. And and certainly, you know, a title in Memphis doesn't, doesn't change, doesn't rewrite that script or anything, but um, it has to be one of the more satisfying titles to see a player win. And as we've, you know, as you and I just discussed, um, he actually is only still 24 years old, so I th- I thought that Harrison would be you know a very worthy topic to to start off this week's podcast with. Yeah, yeah, that's that's you know definitely the surprise of the week. Um, Har- Harrison had never reached an ATP final, let alone won a won one. Um, here he comes in Memphis and wins without losing a set. He had just won a challenger in Dallas. You know, he'd been he had been working up to this for a while. It's a surprise that he won the tournament, not a surprise that he's that he's playing better. He he talked about it in his in his speech afterwards how maybe even less than a year ago he thought he was, you know, he was talking about how there was no light at the end of the tunnel. Maybe you know maybe thinking that he really had reached the end of his career or, or couldn't see you know how he was going to get much better. And now since then you know, since last summer, he had a couple good results there. He beat Raonic. He had a tough match against Burdich. He um, has played well in challengers. You know, really made himself more solid player. The you know the weaknesses that we saw early from him backhand the backhand um, was never you know it wasn't a strong shot for him. Um, 
you know, it doesn't seem to me that he's changed his game or become a new player. It's just much more solid at the things he does, plays, you know, baseline, pretty much meat and potatoes, baseline tennis, but but um, has really made himself, you know, more a professional level at, at that over the last couple of years. His, you know, in beating Raonic at the U.S. Open, that was a very solid, mature win. Um, you know, maybe, you know, when you look back and you think when he was 18, I remember him saying, you know, he was a big press conference after losing to Stakovsky in five sets when he was 18 at the, at the Open. And he talked about how he wanted to win Grand Slams. He had goals to be number one. Um, and, every, you know, people thought that was believable then. Even, but he, even he had to stop and say, you know, I, all I've done is really win one match at a Grand Slam. And it, and it was true. The, you know, the hype machine was, was on for him. Um, but it, it, yeah, it, and the hype machine, I, actually, I think it's, uh, it was a win over Ivan Lubacic in the first round of that Open, if I recall, that really uh, set it into motion. Then you have the, the matches you and I have both mentioned there. Um, you know, for Harrison, he, he's always struck me as, you know, we've talked about, you just talked about a press conference, a speech afterwards. I've talked to him a couple times for, um, for stories. You know, he's a very introspective, um, introspective guy. He, I think you sort of, in a way, allude to it's not what he is necessarily doing physically different, but more of his sort of his just focus and mindset going into, you know, going into um, going into matches here. When I talked to him about that match for a piece for Tennis Magazine five years after it happened, he he recalled long sequences, you know, drawn out points with absolute um, pinpoint accuracy. And he's always been one of the more well-spoken uh, players on tour. I've always sort of taken that away from, I think, I think there's a, and I almost think that was a thing that made a lot of people pull for this, for Harrison early on. I think he had that appeal um, of someone that was kind of a little different than the typical mold, even though he's, you know, he's an academy kid through and through going up through uh, Boletaries and Bradenton. And, but I just, but I, I guess to me, that's one thing I thought about right away after, you know, after hearing, after seeing this win is like, you know, kind of really like, oh, like finally he, he managed to pull it all together. Cause you feel like he almost is sort of a, a tennis encyclopedia, kind of a, sort of a mini savant like of knowledge and of his you know his love of the game but it just really hadn't come out you know in one piece until this week yeah i think that's one reason why people thought he was going to be good because he was so good at talking about tennis so good at analyzing it he seemed to know it as as well as anyone his father is a tennis coach um you know his brother plays as well yeah i think that was i think that was part of his appeal and what made people really believe in him early on um and he is a he is a good guy to listen to talk about tennis. He always has been. I think his you know his his politics can rub people the wrong way on Twitter. Some people like it. I think he's popular with other players, um, and I think he'll. I think he has wants to go on and either be an analyst or get involved in the hierarchy of the game. I think you know he'd be he's good at those things. Um, you know he's still and you know and always been an interesting guy to listen to analyze his own game, analyze other games. Um, you know, I think he's, he's somebody that, that American tennis fans root for because, you know, he's already, you know, he's, he's only 24, but he's already seems like he's on a comeback trail or, or as, you know, he's already somebody you can look at as, as somebody who's making his way back 
Um, you know, that, so it, you know, you hope that continues for him. He actually saved um, twelve for twelve in break points in that match, and he in every service game in the final set um, saved a break point along the way. Ten for ten overall. I thought his serve was very. Um, very strong in this one, and he moves into the top 50, matching, I believe, at number 43, which matches a, a career high. Um, for him, it's, you know, getting, you know, what this really does actually is give him some more kicks at the can when it comes to um, the March Masters events in the U.S., getting into Miami and Indian Wells. You've typically seen Harrison in qualifying draws for the slams for the past couple of years, and this will enable him, you know, really some more opportunities to kind of uh, build upon that ranking, uh, prize money, uh, you know, the things that we don't often associate with tournament winners uh, after after an event, um, you know, typically just because those are not concerns that uh, that if they have, but for Harrison, it's really kind of a, opens up a lot of new doors and we'll have to see what he does with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and for, you know, for the rest of um, the weekend, I think the other big story is, uh, is Carolina Pliskova, who, you know, as of this recording is out of the, you know, the very next tournament she played in Dubai, but, you know, you can almost, I, I think that's quite understandable considering what she'd done in the Australian open in Doha, also fed cup as well. Um, Pliskova, you know, before, uh, before this week getting off to, I believe a 15 and one start in the season. And, you know, even though, even though it was a, um, you know, didn't still has, still has that question of the slam, of course, that's going to really trail her. Um, but this is a fantastic start to the year for her nonetheless. Yeah, I think she takes, you know, the, the wins over, over Venus and Serena at the U S open. She really seems to have have really started to take herself more seriously as a challenger for for the top spot and the and the and the big tournaments um now she's 24 just like Harrison but she's really just coming up for the first time i think just really realizing how good she can be you know we all have known that her hitting her shot making is as good as anybody's but but now putting it together and maybe just being a little more ambitious for herself being you know she started to talk about um winning a grand slam you know when she can do it what tournament, which ones she could win, um, you know, being specific about it in a way. And she is ranked third. She almost won the U.S. Open last year. It's all very, it's all very plausible. Um, she still needs to be get that consistency. She still plays a low margin game. She's still going to have early losses. That I don't think that's ever going to go away. And I don't know if I see her Pliskova as a number one player for you know for a long period of time. I don't I don't know if she's steady enough for that. But you you start to really think. She's the lo she's a logical sort of Grand Slam winner, a power a woman's Grand Slam winner, and, and that power is her game. Um, you know, a lot like her, a lot like Kvitova. She's working with Kvitova, you know, fellow Czech player. She's working with Kvitova's old coach. So you you sort of see those those possibilities for her, especially on hard courts. I I think the the way I look at how you describe Poliskova is that if we're if we're looking at you know, maybe successors to number one um, down the road. It's that's when you look at the more consistent week-to-week -week players of Kerber, Halep, um, Rodwanska, players of that sort. But we've really, you know, aside from a few occasions, have not really labeled 
them as the greatest threats to a Serena Williams, to the biggest names in the biggest matches. And maybe that's where Pliskova fits in. And maybe, you know, really that's that's a label I think we've given to to her countryman, Petra Kvitova, another player who, although she had a, a very good shot at number one a of years ago, and of course is, is sidelined right now, her MO is the player that you don't want to play on any given day because her game has that, um, you know, those heights that she can reach here. And I think that's what we're seeing um, with Pliskova. But of course now it's really, you know, been a pretty long stretch of consistent play too. So I think you're, you know, you're kind of really seeing Pliskova arrive, um, you know, all around at, uh, you know, something of a peak level at this point. Yeah. This spring will be interesting. Indian Wells, Miami, hardcore tournament. She should do well. Um, Clay, probably not her thing. She's even said that Wimbledon should be interesting. I don't know if she's done that much at Wimbledon. I know she lost to Coco Vandeweghe there, but you would think she could play. She could she could do something at Wimbledon. She and you know she has Kvitova's coach. She's talked about how that could help her at Wimbledon. Um, so you know she definitely brings a lot of 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 interest. And you know I think she's a more really a more logical Grand Slam winner than than Kerber as far as you know winning one slam if you had to pick somebody who's going to win a certain slam so we're looking ahead to slams this year in the summer Wimbledon let's let's look ahead to the um, Swiss indoors in Basel three years from now Mm -hmm. because that this is what I want to close with is news today of your 35 year old Grand Slam champion Roger Federer committing to Basel not just this year and not just next year, but in uh, in 2019. And you project that out. Um, Federer will be at that age 38. Um, and, you know, un- unless he is, uh, un- unless he's saying that to, to say that he will be playing, you know, Wimbledon and uh, Basel and maybe one other event to, to uh, retain his tour membership card it it certainly infers that Federer you know as he's maintained really from especially after this six-month absence where the goal was not to just be ready for an event not not just to peak for this year it was to sustain his career for a longer length of time and it can only be you know looked at from a a fan's perspective of, of Federer's as you know as just really incredible news that he wants to uh and I, and I never really doubted the motivation to want to play this long it's still hard to to take in the the age of 38 and you know at that point if he's still playing you know he'll be playing guys 20 years younger than him actually but that's what he wants to do yeah i think agassi stopped at 35 or 36 so that's this will be taking it beyond this goes back to somebody like ken rosewall who won a grand slam at 38 or 39 um so it you know it is possible, and we just saw Federer win probably the most physically demanding slam of his career, three five setters in Australia. That comes after six months off. I guess that's the question: is if if he commits to, you know, how much of a how much is he going to commit each year? Can he get to thirty eight? He's talked about if he if he has another serious injury, he talked about how that could be it for him. I think he knows. You know, I think it'll come down to scheduling this. This Australian Open was good for him. He hadn't, you know, he was, you know, he he was fresh. Um, we'll see if that, how he is by the end of this year, how he schedules, you know, how much the season takes a toll on him. He seems 
you know, he seems completely fine. I, I think he said when he, before the Australian Open, I think he said he planned to play two or three more years. So this, this makes sense in that, in that way. It's hard to imagine him going beyond 38 just as a number. Um, I would have been hard to imagine getting there a few years ago, but, but that seems like a logical stopping point for him. Maybe that tournament. So, you know, who knows? I mean, the one comparison I, I've always now, I'm putting now on with Federer is, and, and it's been side by side at the beginning of this year, is is really with, you know, seeing what Tom Brady's doing in the NFL too. And he's, he's you know, said similar things that, of course, he'll actually be, you know, he's already older than 38 right now. And, and it's a, you would think if you could make it to your 40s, you would probably be able to do it more in tennis than in football. But you know, you see what these two have done here. I think, you know, for the differences are many, but the the similarity I think is that is really just the the insistence that the sport they play really is is a priority to them um, more than it is to many other players and many other great players. Honestly, these you know these two have you know. I think in them we're seeing really two of you know two of the sports tops um, of, among all sports that we're going to see in this generation really, and I think that it's 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 a parallel that I that I've kind of drawn between them for a little bit here, you know, after and obviously after seeing what each of them did in January here, and you know for Federer there just there just does not seem to be it, it's really been. It, the talk of of when this ends, it's never really been brought up on his side. It, it's typically been, you know, the story that has been written after an early exit at a slam. Um, only recently has he been dealing with the um, with injury issues that you know certainly can derail a player for you know and, and really sort of set on that talk of, of when is it time to you know to really pack the bags, but. Um, but for Federer here, and and to to have it uh, to have this announcement here, you know, he also was just doing an announcement for Laver Cup. It's just, it's really just been, you know, the honeymoon after this Australian Open win. I think has just continued for him, and it really doesn't, you know, I don't expect him to play much of a clay season as was the case last year. Um, as I've kind of, you know really said as soon as the Australian Open was over. It was already gravy in Federer's career before this 18th slam, but but really it's just it, it, there's nothing that he can do or not do that really tarnishes anything at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know if he thinks of it that way necessarily. I think he still would be disappointed to lose and or not to win more. Um, he's definitely enjoyed having that trophy. He's turning that thing into the Stanley Cup, right? Yeah, the Australian oh. Open trophy. I think he and Brady seem like to me like part of the evolution of athletes and guys that are just are pushing a little further than people thought you could go age-wise. You know, just just showing you can. You know, maybe the next generation will will last as long as they have. Maybe part of it is you know, obviously there's more professionalism now and more you know more more concern and more. Um, you know the the sort of the ability to to keep yourself healthy that long, and I think also the mindset that you can you can last that long. People haven't really done it, and I, maybe they're 
that breaking through that sort of mindset and believing they can they can play until they're nearly 40 or 40 you know maybe that'll set a new standard for the future for for younger athletes yep i just i do think it changes that uh, that game and really the the long game for all for all athletes here and um and that's something that brady said himself on a on a pretty revealing um podcast with peter king that i'd recommend you know it's uh that's kind of the legacy almost that he wants to leave it's it's less about um achievements personally and more about the achievements that an athlete uh can do if they really just decide if they have the ability of course and if they really just give it that uh that unwavering determination in a sense both physically and mentally of course um with that said uh we're gonna take off my computer's about to uh about at the two percent power level so we will uh call this one off and we'll return next week uh you know, I think to kind of wrap up where we see the WTA at after Dubai and Doha, we'll move into the ATP, getting into some um, stronger field events too as we make our way into March, Indian Wells, and Miami. So until then, at the Tennis.com podcast, this is Steve Tigner and Ed McGrogan. Um, thanks as always for listening. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.